Well, before we get to 1 Corinthians 12, I, I want to touch on a few things. So let me see if I can recall it accordingly. Let's go to John. Um, John 14. So John 14, Jesus is speaking about this relationship that followers of Jesus will have. He speaks of the one he refers to as the helper. The, the word we know in Greek is parakletos. It's one who comes alongside. It's, it's basically saying, you're, you're, you see me, but you'll experience me through him. He's, he's speaking of the helper, the Holy Spirit. In John 14, you see in verse 16, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is just prior to the crucifixion and resurrection. This is among people that had been following Jesus. And he's saying, you know him, for he's with you. The Holy Spirit is in the world. And, and they're, they're being told that, but they're also being told he will be in you. So he's with them, but he will be in them. Now, remember, you know, we're on... Um, this side of the cross, so to speak. They, they were coming up to the cross. When this is declared, you're being told, there's, you're going to have an experiential change. They're, 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 they're so unique in history because they physically walked with the Lord. They, they got to be the ones that were like literally eating bread with him and, and walking the shores and, and through the, the area of Israel. And so he says, it's going to change. The Holy Spirit's with you, and he will be in you. Now, we have the same element, if you would experience in the sense of Holy Spirit being with us. Before you're born again, the Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit, we're told in this same portion of Scripture, that he convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So we don't come to Christ because our life was such a mess, we got or head on straight and give our life over to Jesus, that, that may be a functionally what's happening in a physical sense, but you, I, we respond to the prompting of God in the person of the Holy Spirit that reveals our own sin, our unrighteousness, and our pending judgment. So it's really important, I think, to know that your response to God, your calling out to God, is actually a response to His calling you. We actually come to him, even though we think we turned our life over to Jesus, right? That's, the, that's a good way to say it. But why did you do it? Well, because my life was a mess. True. But why did you do it? Because I needed to change things. True. But why did you do it? Because he called me. Because he prompted me. Because he revealed my sin and brought the hope of salvation by showing you and me we needed him, and then we responded to him. It's really beautiful when you see how it unfolds. So now this is what's happening with them. They're, the Holy Spirit is with them and will be in them. And we notice in John 14, uh, 25, 
continuing, if you would, the dialogue, these things I've spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Some have said, well, we don't have the Trinity, the word in Scripture, but the New Testament is so beautiful in its subtle declaration of the triunity of God. The red letter section we just read is telling us who was talking. Jesus is talking, right? That's why it's red letter. Who's he speaking of? The Holy Spirit's to come. And who's he also mentioning in this? The Father. In one verse, we have the triunity of God revealed in the truth of Scripture. And here he's saying, this is that the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. So now we'll go over a couple chapters to chapter 20, verse 22. Now what's taken place from where we just last read and where we settle in now is that the resurrection has happened, the, the horrible reality of the crucifixion and, and uh, the, the, just what they all went through. But now he's risen. And as they are out and about, and when he had said this, verse 22, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Talking about their calling. But do you hear what he said? Remember where we look, back here. You shall receive. He is with you and shall be in you. Now, after the resurrection, what is being declared to those disciples? Receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe at that moment, they were they received the Holy Spirit. Remember, you weren't on the you didn't walk with him before the cross. So you and I, the Holy Spirit was with us. When we're born again, we receive the Holy Spirit. We are born again, born of the Spirit. I could show you many proof texts to, to bring that to, to understanding. Well, as days go by, um, in, in, the, in the flow and the chronology of the Bible, they've received the Holy Spirit. But notice in Acts chapter 1, when they're assembled together, and he told them, don't depart to Jerusalem until you receive the promise from the Father. Because we're told in Acts 1 verse 8, of those who had received the Spirit, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be my witness, you be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So do you see where, how we're rolling through this? He says the helper will come. They look for it because the, he's, they were told he was with them, but would be in them. In John 20, verse 22, they're, they're experiencing this receiving of the Holy Spirit, but they're told, wait until you're endued with power, because it says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now from Acts 1.8, let's roll over to Acts 2, verse 4. We know this is the day of Pentecost, the context. And in Acts 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So do you see what's, how it's unfolding? They, they received the Holy Spirit, but then they, there's this also what we would call 
the baptism or the overflowing or the you know enabling work of the Holy Spirit in their life so that they can be witnesses. You can't be an effective witness unless you have that power of the Holy Spirit. You can have the presence of the Holy Spirit, but the power of the Holy Spirit comes when you are surrendered to him, when you're dependent upon him, you realize he is the one I need. And so what do we know happened at the day of Pentecost? You know, as they now are really enabled, the Holy Spirit give them the, it began to, they began to speak in tongues. Tongues are one of the expressions of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the gifts of the Spirit, if we can see it maybe in a simple terminology and a practical understanding, they're like tools to accomplish God's purposes. And He distributes as He sees fit. So tongues was used at this time uniquely and beautifully, not not just this time, but to really declare of the wonderful works of God. It wasn't to draw attention to the individuals that had the gift. It was a gift to accomplish God's purpose, to bring glory to God, to people to turn to God. So do you see it's so important, and that's why I wanted to spend a little bit just here to remind ourselves we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're born again, but we need also that ongoing work that he will accomplish with people, through people, and in people that are submitted to him, surrendered to him, seeking him. And they're not someone who's grown religious because they have a good history of going to church and they're moral and ethical people and probably born again even. But they're just okay. Instead of, I'm not okay with just being okay. I want to see the work of God more in my life. I want, I want to know it's his power, his hand, his work. And so let's look at some of the things um, in regards to this topic. I have a, these here, you may be wondering, is he going to pass them out? No. Uh, I just want you to know I have them. So they're just really cool books. So um, actually the reason I'm holding them, I'm not actually going through them as far as like, and a flow. I want to, I put them here so I wouldn't forget to tell you guys about them and hand them out later if you want them. So if you're wondering, is that what you're going to use? Yeah, it is. You're going to use it at home in homework. So let's roll over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to take some time through this. We've looked at it on Sunday. We've touched on it. And, and I, I just, let's just kind of catch the context and then we'll look at these gifts. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these mute or or these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Spirit, Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Let's skip over to verse 11. But the one, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. I wanted to catch the context and the convenience of seven eleven. You know why I said that. Verse seven: the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. 
It's not for the exaltation. Exalted means to raise up. The exaltation of the recipient of the gift. It's not so people say, that guy's really spiritual. He has this gift. It wasn't for that individual's profit, correct? It's for the profit, for the profit of all, so that the body can be ministered to, so that that people can be introduced to the truth of the gospel, that the the, the power of God will be present in a in a in a community, in a culture, in a in a in a neighborhood where people would know they're, they're just there's just not just religion, man. This is something different. This is powerful. So it's for the profit of all. And notice in verse eleven. The one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. That liberates you, takes a lot of pressure off you. It takes away any comparison or competition. Does he distribute because you're more spiritual? Does he distribute because, you know, you feel like someone else needs it or I need it or whatever? As he wills. I think that's so beautiful because he knows the gifts of the Spirit, these enabling tools, these empowerments, if you would, for expression, for his glory. He knows how to distribute perfectly. And I want to say this, you know, some of you will wonder, what's my gift? I hope you do wonder that. I hope you then go before the Lord, what's my gifting? What is the unique part in in the body you have me? But, But don't think of it as like, I only have one gift. You know, the, the working of this, the gifts, the expression of the gifts, you know, many people have multiple gifts. And so, it, but it's not for them to like put it on their business card. You know what I'm saying? See the back of card and you lift all the gifts and man, you're really spiritual, you know, because you have all this stuff. It, it's, it's for the profit of all. And it really is so beautiful when it's worked because many times the gifts of the spirit are exercised and they're, they're brought to a heart but the voice, the person that who had God had poured that gift through, doesn't even know that they did. Let me give you an example of that. My uh, aunt, my uncle, my dad's brother, um, he is uh, he was really a, a mentor to me when I became a believer. He was a Christian, and he went through really tough stuff, multiple surgeries. Uh, he had rheumatoid arthritis, and you know he just I couldn't figure out why this guy was so jovial. So he he just had a glow about him. And yet you could see he grimaced too. He was in pain for years. And and he was such an impact on me, such an influence. And so I remember going over to Uncle Lauren's house and, and, and they at that time had attended a fellowship that really put the, the gifts of the spirit as something that was to be used in the apostolic era of the first generation. There was not the needs of those gifts now because the church was established and everything's in place, so those specific gifts were no longer in expression. So they held to that. And they knew that where I was attending at Calvary, which was a little different, you know, it had a different view. But they weren't cynical. They weren't corrective. They weren't saying, oh, it's, you guys need to get it right. This is what happened. It was so... <laughs> so hilarious now. I just go, God is so cool. My aunt, I love her dearly, um, but but she had just this different view, and she's a little more assertive. But she says to me, just in the flow of conversation, you're going to be a pastor one day. I know it. She had no, she didn't believe in the gifts. 
And she loves God, so God just says, oh, "This is I just I love you so much. I'll just let you give a word to him." And I actually thought, oh, "Okay, that's just your aunt. She loves you. She's being nice, trying to keep you on track so you don't go squirrely." No, that wasn't it at all. She spoke really more specifically about my life and about things to come. And it was many years later before I see it come to fruition. And don't you love that that part where she didn't even have a, what we would call maybe a, a thorough understanding from the scripture of Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, the, the New Testament expression of these gifts. And, and God didn't punish her. Like, yeah, oh, no, I'm going to let you experience it because you don't believe in it. It's really fascinating to me because so many people try to get the gifts. And, and then I have this recorded in my heart and evident in my life. Like, man, he deserves as he wills for the profit of all. So beautiful. So let's go back now. You notice we skipped over to verse 11 to catch what I believe is an important context there in 7.11. And and now we're going to go to verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. So you're seeing it. I know because we even looked at this emphasis on a Sunday here just a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I believe it was. There's this reminder in each gift, it's from God. It's through the Spirit. It's not through self-generation. It's not through some form of of trying to make it happen. To one is given the word of wisdom. Wisdom is is interesting because... So knowledge, in a practical sense, is the gathering of information, but knowing what is actually relative to why you're gathering it. You, You need to know knowledge when you go on the internet, right? Because you're going to get a lot of information, but you have to have even, and I'm talking about, you know, like just a, 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 a wisdom of this world spoken of of James, you know, because before you're born again, you, you function in this world with truth and wisdom and certain principles that are earthly. When you're born again, as you've heard me say, you're born from above, the Bible tells us, We're now indwelt by the Holy Spirit, bringing heavenly wisdom, which James also talks about, into our lives. So now we live in this realm, but now we have this poured in, and we're actually now trying to function in this realm with heavenly wisdom. And what I'm saying is, you you can assemble information on a topic, but then what you pull out of that is knowledge, agreed? You kind of discard. There's just a lot of stuff you have to chuck, because it isn't really in the search shouldn't even showed up in the in search. So now you have this knowledge. And so knowledge is an insight in a situation. It's a, it's a understanding about a particular time, place, situation, uh, circumstance. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. So knowledge we gain, we get, get a hold of by kind of sorting through all this information. But now that I know this, what do I do with it? You put it into practice. It's just simple. Here's a real basic thing. You get out a map. It's got a lot of information on it. You find the location where you're at. With knowledge, you see, okay, this goes to here. That takes me. The sign says Boise is that direction. I follow it. I get to Boise. Wisdom is that part where you realize, okay, if I stay on this road long enough, that's where I'll arrive. It's the application of knowledge. And so, you know, it's really important. The Bible tells you time and time again especially if you read through the Proverbs, you catch it regularly. Get wisdom, get knowledge, get understanding. 
because these these things are are natural in a sense. There's just certain things you should know, but then we're functioning now with this infuse, this indwelling, this imparting of these gifts and the gift of knowledge. Now, the gift of knowledge is different, I would say, than just general understanding. It's where God gives you an awareness of something that you didn't know on your own. You didn't just kind of like, you know, see the forecast and say, it looks like it's going to rain today. You know, it's much different. It's much deeper, if you would. It's a knowledge that you just, in a situation or a circumstance. And realize that the gifts of the Spirit are not a storehouse or a backpack that you just pull them out of and use them anytime you want. You know, you can have the gift of knowledge, but you may have realized you don't always have that source that you can tap in and utilize for your purpose. The Holy Spirit brings it forth and imparts it and brings it out as he wills, as he sees fit. And that's why in some situations you'll be going, man, I shared that verse. I haven't thought about that verse since Sunday school. And man, you articulate it and you bring it forth because he brought a word of knowledge from the word to a situation and it ministered to somebody in whatever the scenario. And so the next time you see something, you can't just like, tap into it and, and like, you know, kind of some do some like, some magic prayer or some thing. It's really fascinating to me because I think you should be able to use it as you see fit. But that's a bad idea because God knows better. And so you tap into it. And that's why some people have the gift of healing and some people have even the gift of wisdom and then even other gifts. And it, But it's not manifested at the 100% recall or request of the recipient. I believe it's why it confuses a lot of people because they think, well, because I have the gift, I should be able to utilize it at any moment, right? That's what, I mean, it makes sense. But God says, well, I distribute as I will. Let's consider this. He says, as we've already read through, there's diversity of gifts, which means there's variety. There's variation of gifts, which we see a list here, and we know in Romans 12 as well. So there's a difference of gifts there in verse 4. There are differences of ministries or serving. There's different ways that those gifts are brought into practice into real-world application, but it's the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. So there's various ways that it will be uh, uh, expressed or, or even verified. And I think that's important to know God distributes as he wills, but he also works all in all. So back to the word of wisdom. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Wisdom, uh, we see throughout Scripture, you know, wisdom is brought into practice or brought in through the Old Testament and New Testament um, examples where knowledge is there, but then wisdom as well. We see in this also um, another, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, going on to verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. So faith is manifested. We'll see it in Romans 12, that to each one is given a measure of faith, a portion of faith, every person. You are you were given uh, a measure of faith to come to salvation. I've already talked about that, how you it wasn't just your own decision. You're also given a proportional need of faith for situations before you. We just got to learn to recognize it and not be fearful. Uh, the one I referenced that was such a, a monumental one for me, just because I, I know how my brain was working and things were going on. But when I look back, 
to moving out here to Mountain Home 24 years ago. And I look back on that. I was working at a job um, just some years prior, two years prior to that. I had 19 and a half years in. I'm six months away from, I didn't really have a full-on retirement. There was, a, there was a definitely a monetary factor to hit the 20. And, and I just, I was asked to, to quit that job and, and go on staff at, at Calvary Chapel Boise as, as comptroller and administrator, which is, I got a high school education, folks. You know, run a, a major company and have that influence. Like, but God had just stirred within me a, a faith implanted for Kim and I both because it, it was our both of our decision. And so I take this step, and it's like I, I okay, here we go. And then less than two years later, we're selling our house and moving out here to to be a part of a Bible study that had been taking place, and it had grown, and so we're gonna. You know, get going. So I, I ended up getting a, a job up at uh, Idaho Record Sales. There was like six of us, seven of us working up there at that time. But I look back on that and go, what was I thinking? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm like, seriously, I mean, we have, we had six, we have six kids between the ages of five and 15 when we moved out here. And I still don't know how did I come to the conclusion I should do that. It's illogical in the way my brain works. But there was a measure of faith. And I believe my part was simply to recognize that, God, I, I want to do what you'd have me to do. You seem to have opened this door. It seems to be your hand. I'm going to just take a step forward and another step if necessary. And he actually just, he worked in Kim and I, our lives in such a powerful way. And I've seen him just repeat that over and over every single year, every time. So I want to just say, you're giving this measure of faith. Let's consider Acts um, chapter 3, if you, if you go there with me. See, Acts 3. In Acts chapter 3, specifically, we'll just zero in on um, verses 4 to 16. And here we're going to see knowledge, I believe even wisdom, and obviously healing being exercised or expressed through the, the early followers of Jesus. We see in verse 4, now they're going through the temple. There's a certain lame man who had been there, there at the gate, beautiful. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. So here you have this beautiful story. And I think Peter and and, and John were possibly, maybe even probably as amazed as the man who was healed. Because it's not like they got, you know, like Discipleship 101 handbook. They attended a class after the resurrection, and they, were, they got the how to do this stuff. They literally are just walking by faith. 
And so there they see this person, and guess what? Do you think Jesus might have walked by this person at one time or another? At the gate, beautiful, very, very probable, one of these gates, he would have been bought, walked by him. There's people that needed healing and a touch of the Savior, and there's times that he didn't heal them. It's perplexing, agreed? It, it, it's confounding to some measure. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, this is bonus. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, having arisen a long while before daylight, Jesus went to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Well, he went there and prayed, and then the other's like, where's Jesus? Because in Mark 1, we're told that Peter's mother-in-law was sick and had been healed. And so that night, people had come around, and there was this amazing work of the Spirit taking place, people being healed. Jesus leaves before daylight. They get up and go, hey, where's the healer dude? You know, where's, where's Jesus at? And he had went into a solitary place and prayed. He comes back and he says, we're going to another place. And they're like, there's people here. We don't need to get the sandals dirty. We can stay right here and do the work of God. And what does Peter do? This is the will of my father, or not Peter, Jesus. This is the will of my father. And they went from there when there's still people to be healed. It's perplexing when we think we can somehow bring about a healing. Last week we prayed for a healing for several people. We, we will always do that. Because I believe that's an element of faith. You just pray. And God will bring about a work and he'll do things in a perfect way. I always want to be open to what God would do. I don't want to say, well, it's not the era, not the age, not the time. I want to be open. But I also know he does it as he wills. He, he heals this man. And the result is everyone is amazed. They were, they were in wonder and amazement. Now notice what happens here in verse 11. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses." And in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through God, through him, has given this man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. (laughs) I know there's the word of wisdom and knowledge, because the gospel was declared to the guilty people. And they listened. You know, I mean, there wasn't really like, hey, you guys are good Jews. It was like, dude, you, you kissed up to Pilate, and you had your Savior killed. That's what he just told them. And, and they're like, and then he says, as you see, you know, but this, this man whom you see, God has made him. Well, Jesus is the one who healed this man in the faith which comes through Jesus. Why do I emphasize that? It wasn't Peter's faith. It wasn't that Peter just kind of manifested and kind of got a little Holy Spirit spirit role thing, kind of something going on his own. God give Peter the faith to say to this man, I don't I don't have silver and gold. 
I, but what I have, I'll give to you. Rise, stand up, and walk. He didn't do that time and time again. Do you notice that? You know, he, he did it at that moment because he gave him the faith. And Peter says, listen, this man's not healed because the, the great Pete did it. This man is healed because of the faith that comes from Jesus. It's a faith in Jesus and the faith that comes from Jesus. And so that's why we, we are, are joyfully and beautifully dependent upon God to accomplish his purposes in our lives. Because he, he does that. So we're like, God, you, you can do it. You can bring it about. I, I look to you. I, I, this story, as I say, is such a good account of, of what we're looking about, looking at in 1 Corinthians 12 and the topic of, of the gifts of the Spirit. Someone was healed. People were in, amazed at God. Peter brings wisdom and knowledge and correction because he had perceived these people think that we got something special. Now I'm going to tell them what that special thing is. It's not us. This is this is how this man was healed. This is this is what happened. I'll just tell you. He goes on to say something that I, I want to just insert for us tonight. It comes in verse nineteen. He he speaks to them and says, "Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord." So that's that gospel message. But do you know, embedded in that gospel message is a word of encouragement to Peter and John. A word of encouragement to believers right now. Notice what it is. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. As we petition God for His work, as we request perhaps a gift of the Spirit that would, would accomplish His purposes, or maybe we desire a healing for a loved one, or whatever it may be, we always want to remember that the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. It's very personal, very specific. You know, just when you're born again, the sins are blotted out, and then the ongoing t- sense of, of life and vitality comes from where? From the presence of the Lord. And that's why I, I urge you, I, I encourage you, ha- figure out how to have your time with the Lord. These times are beautiful. I, I, I look forward to our group gatherings and our prayer and our worship using, you know, by way of music and fellowship and such. But public things, public gathering, they're enhanced because of private decisions, because of private disciplines. Think about this. Um, have you ever went to like a, a conference or perhaps a retreat or perhaps somewhere where you just set aside time to just hear from the Lord. And you know, and, and most often I hear this when people come back, and I've experienced this. Man, that was amazing. That was such a sweet time. That was a beautiful time. And, and, and what we inadvertently do is we identify the location and the, 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 the purpose, but we overlook something that's really more personal. What is it? Discipline. Because in those events, we disciplined ourselves, and I mean this in a, hopefully you see it in the proper way. We chose to go, we chose to go to the, to the worship session, we chose to sit in the workshop, we chose, you know, that, that's a discipline, a practice. Paul said, I, I, I buffet, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. He doesn't just beat the air, he doesn't just say, well, oh, I hope I get there, but he really fights the good fight of faith with personal disciplines. And, and that's what happens, right? You have, you, you, have you ever said this? 
I'm, I'm going to try to make time to, to have my, my devotion, my time with Jesus. You can't. You don't get to make a 25-hour day. You can't make time. You always have to take time. The allotment is the same for every person. And so by prioritization, by realization, and quite honestly, I believe requesting of God, give me the faith and give me the understanding to set aside time and be real before you, to be able to be just private. And, and guess what happens? Because you know, many of you know my habits as far as, you know, I, I choose to get away to seek the Lord. And it's not easy. It requires discipline. It's easy to get away, honestly. It's not as easy to sit still and pay attention. I can sit on a hill in complete solitude and be fascinated at how many ants are crawling around that log and be just totally enamored by, like, how come the leaves haven't changed yet? It's late in the year. You know, so there, I have, there's times I literally, then I'm just like, I have Mr. Miyagi as a dear friend. You know who I'm talking about? Karate Kid. What does he say? A focus, said Daniel son. A focus. Yeah, there's times I just, okay, Lord. But I realize in those moments, I don't have a burning bush experience. I haven't had the clouds, you know, reverberate. I haven't had the mountain shake. But I have had a still small voice. I've had just a sense, not even audible. I've come off the hill wondering, did it, was it even worth it? But you know what? Every time, times of refreshing have come from the presence of the Lord. Recognizing responsibility, knowing the role, knowing the various things that are a reality of our lives, but just saying, I'm just going to go spend a little time with Jesus. That's why I quoted to you Mark 135, because it's ingrained my, on my heart, and it's, he's developed it into a practice to I could just get away and hear what he has to say. Not isolation, that's self-serving. Solitude, where you can just settle your heart. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Let's jump back over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we're looking at verse 9, speaking of faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healings by the same Spirit. We know that, uh, sadly, some have used this gift or implied they have a gift through manipulation and had these events and these, quite honestly, circus shows where they fake healing and they just they manipulate people and it just it's really sad because so often if they're unsuccessful at healing what do they say you don't have enough faith it's one of the meanest things i've ever heard where somebody who has something in their experience they they need they have cancer they have emotional instability they have whatever it is and it it is dis, it's disruptive and disturbing to them and they, they go to a gathering of people that present themselves to be of God. And as they go there with their heart totally poured out, willing to, okay, what do I need? And then because it doesn't fit their theatrics, because they actually don't have the power to heal, they only have the power for theatrics, this person's not healed. So what do they say to the person to somehow maintain the public appearance? Oh, Lord, give this person more faith. They're hindered by their lack of faith. It's their, it's their reluctance to recognize your lordship that's limiting the power of God and healing their life. And where does that person go? Home, believing that God does not love them. I, 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 I got to stop there, but it, it really makes me mad. 
Because it's mean to do that to someone, to manipulate the, the word of God, to show somehow you have something. When, when the healings are for what purpose? We've already seen a man was healed. A lame man who, who gives thanks to God, who recognized God. People are healed that don't deserve to be healed, and people by human logic that deserve to be healed are not healed. It's not because God doesn't work today. If you wanted to kick into a statistical, mathematical, odds and probability way of thinking a little bit, you start looking at the time frame from the book of Acts till, till the close of it, and you start calculating and considering, what, three, four decades? And how many healings are recorded? See, we think that everybody that was there got healed. Anybody that petitioned or requested got healed. But it actually is not what the Bible tells us. He, according to what we know to be true about the Word of God, He distributes at he, as He wills for the profit of all. It doesn't mean we have less faith. It doesn't mean we think, well, maybe it's not meant supposed to be. It just means that He, he does these miraculous healings. This, you know, God can do a healing, and it's a, I just would describe it this way. It's a, it's a it's a it's a divine intervention, and God uses whatever manner He chooses. I've seen people healed, and I've seen the medical profession a part of it. Although they didn't bring it about, they were able to verify a specific case. Uh, um, Amy and Drew um, were here. Oh gosh, it's been 15 years, I think. I don't know if we we're in this building. She had a tumor in her lungs, I believe it was. And she was pregnant with twins. And this was going to be a real problem. And I believe their advice was to abort the children because she wouldn't be able to deliver. And so we just prayed. And, and people around the world prayed. I love that part. Because nobody knows who did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if we knew who had the gift, we'd kind of dial them direct. But literally this woman was healed. And when they did the, the x-rays... They're like, we need to run them again. We're not picking up the tumor, which was elongated and significant. And so they, they do, the, do, the, do it again. It's like, we can't explain this because we have this one here that shows it and this one here that says it's not there. We, they, they considered some type of exploratory surgery to find it. And, of course, they said, you're done. You can't find it? I'm not staying. <laughs> kind of a deal. And, and, and she ended up giving birth to two beautiful kids. I think they're probably, well, obviously they're 14, 15. I don't know, they may be older than that now. I'm just sharing that as an example. I know the gift of healing is in operation today. It comes from God for the glory of God to bless the people of God and impact the world that we live in. It's not just for Christians. Some people have been healed, and that healing is why they turn to the living God. Because they've seen it, especially in other cultures, you know, that are in the third world category, so to speak, that don't rely on medicine or, or medical practices. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Medical practice and medicine, I believe, is a gift of God as well. But it's not where I put my confidence. It's not where I put my hope. I, I'm very glad for it. But the, the, the gift of healing is something that God does, and he uses whatever manner he chooses. Much like it says in verse 10, another, the working of miracles. Well, once again, what did we see in, in Acts 3? This beautiful story of a miracle that took place. 
It involved healing, and a healing that was so thorough that a man who was lame, probably since birth, I think that's actually what the text tells us, that he was walking and leaping and praising God. I don't know if he got all new joints. I don't know if he got all new muscle. I just know he got up and jumped around and praised God. And that was a miracle. Just not only healing, it was, it was a miracle. Miracles have a purpose, right? They're, they're a part of a sign, an indication. But what are signs for? Signs are to direct people somewhere. You hopefully know that when you're driving down the road. If it tells you to slow down and there's this little S-turn, whatever, you're going to react to the sign. It tells you something. Well, signs are meant to direct people to God. It's a, it's a wicked generation, though, that demands a special sign, right? Let me just reference Mark 8 real quick. In Mark 8, we'll bring it up in verse... Uh, 11 and 12, you'll find it also in Luke, as well as Matthew, this story. Um, But in verse 11 of Mark 8, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with Jesus, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. Uh, Luke and Matthew tell us that he said the only sign that they're going to get was the sign and the proof of the resurrection three days in the tomb and the, the analogy of, of Jonah. But notice what he's saying here. Why does this generation seek a sign? They were seeking a special sign. You and I don't need a sign from God to put faith in God. Faith in God is a gift from God. And we learn to trust him. We, we, by faith, say, God, I'm exercising this gift of faith, and I don't even know what it looks like. I just know you say I have it. And in doing that, we're believing that he is God. You, we, when someone says, God needs to show me a sign and I'll believe, they're saying, I want a special sign. I, want, I can't believe the cross exclusively. I can't believe the gospel as, as it's presented to humanity. I need a special sign. And that's why he said that that's wicked. You're saying, I won't believe you. And, and we, anybody who says that, because I, 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 I felt that, well, God, if you're real, then I have this kind of ultimatum. And, and yet, if he would have fulfilled that requirement of mine, what would I have probably done? Okay, well, if that, okay, well, now do it this way. Oh, okay, well, yeah, maybe that was just the weather. I don't. It should be done this way. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's, it, he has given us the sign, the indication. There is a sign that directs us to God. God came as a man, rose or was crucified, put into the tomb, left for dead. He rises from the dead. Over 500 people see him after the resurrection. Uh, even the, the Jewish and even sector historians make mention of him. He rises from the dead and then bodily ascends before people into heaven. And, and, and we think we need more signs? There's no other sign needed to have to put faith in God. He, he of all, I mean, no, anyway, you, you understand the gospel. No other religious figure, no other world leader, no one has risen from the dead and conquered death and hell. Anyone who has seemingly conquered death or had, you know, a near-death experience, something else happened to them. Do you know what happened to them? They croaked. They died. Even though they maybe have this moment of entering into heaven and coming back and some fascinating stories, they then died. 
Lazarus was dead, come back to life, and then something else happened. He croaked. He died. Jesus rose from the dead and, and is alive. That's the, why we put our faith in Christ. It, it is he. That is the hope of the gospel. And so, I be careful. We don't want to. God, if you could just do this, or if you just do this, don't don't misunderstand me. As a child of God, I'm going to request from my Father what I think is best for me, and my Father will say, "Danny, I love you." He's not going to ridicule me because I'm making this petition. Because I just, God, I just would like it if you do this or do this. But I also have to say, but I know. Your will's best. I don't like it sometimes, but I know it's best. I, I know it hurts, I, uh, but I know it's best. Mm-hmm.